1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: Welcome to Psalm 22. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask you now to open your heart to us. Lord, you've done it in so many ways, but now especially, Lord, your heart that Father that sent your Son to endure Psalm 22. or Jesus, your heart that freely, willingly came to endure Psalm 22. Help us to understand, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 22. Psalm 22. If you like to turn there, please. Psalm 22. We're going to consider This is going to be a series. This is part one. Don't ask me how many parts there are. I don't know. But I know that this will be at least one more. This is the first part. Psalm 22. We're going to look at the first six verses. Psalm 22, verse 1. To the chief musician upon Ejalef, Shahar, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and, desto- and despise of the people." So today, as I mentioned here, we're going to start a study here on one of, really the most, one of the most amazing chapters in all the Bible, Psalm 22. It's a remarkable chapter because it's actually a very famous prayer in Judaism. It's a very, it's called the Eili prayer. It's the Eili, Eili, my God, my God prayer. It's a cry of extreme anxiety. Psalm 22 is a first person account of a horrible, horrible experience It's like Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a second-person account description of a horrible, horrible experience. And there's an all-important question that needs to be answered for both Psalm 22 and for Isaiah 53. And this all-important question was actually asked by an Ethiopian. An Ethiopian, a government official, a eunuch. And this Ethiopian eunuch was returning back to Ethiopia, from Jerusalem. And while he was in Jerusalem, he bought a scroll. He bought a scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he was reading along in the book of Isaiah as he was being carried in his caravan back to Ethiopia. He'd gotten about 50 miles away from Jerusalem. And he was in the desert of what we now call the Gaza Strip. Back then it was called Gaza too. And he came to the 53rd chapter. So he's like two-thirds the way through the book of Isaiah. And when he got there, he was stumped, and he didn't know what he was reading. And Philip, Philip a follower of the Lord Jesus, a disciple Philip, was near him, actually. And this Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip the most important question for Isaiah 53, which happens to be the most important question for Psalm 22. And their conversation and the question is recorded for us in Acts 8.30. Acts chapter 8, verse 30. Acts 8, verse 30 starts off and says, Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, the Ethiopian eunuch said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter." And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation and his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? That's it. That's the most important question that has to be answered about Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. And the answer to that question determines whether a person is near or far from heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And the question that he asked is in 834, of whom speaketh the prophet? Of whom speaks the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53? Of whom speaks King David in Psalm 22? Who is Psalm 22 speaking about? And Philip answered that question in the next verse in Acts 8.35, Acts 8.35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 are all about the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Lord Jesus is seen in these two chapters of Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, then will flow out a praise from some of these words that we've even been singing in time past in these hymns. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. O sacred head now wounded, I am lost in wonder, love, and praise that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Jehovah lifted up his rod. O Christ, it fell on thee. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. So Psalm 22 begins with this, this first verse, which is a cry of the deepest misery. It's a cry of despair. It's a cry of anguish from the worst that could ever happen to a person. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse that could ever happen to a person but that he should be forsaken by God. And so Psalm 22 opens that way. And Psalm 22 closes with a commission for the people of God to proclaim this work that was accomplished, this work that was accomplished in the cry of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The first word in this Psalm 22 is Eli, my God. The last word in this Psalm is Asa, which means accomplished, it means finished, and a person understands this Psalm 22 only when he sees that the cry of Eli, my God, was a statement of the last word of Asa, of finished, which happened in Matthew 7, 46. Matthew 27, 46. Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then, that'd be the first verse in Psalm 22, and then John 19.30, John 19.30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He said, asa, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So this psalm starts with the words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it moves on to describe a person who's been abandoned by God to endure Everything alone on the cross, all the physical pain, all the pain of the mockery and the contempt and the cry of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Most horrible cry that a person could ever cry. And that cry is heard by every person who is cast into hell. They know that horrible feeling of being forsaken by God. Every person who's been cast into hell would describe themselves as forsaken by God. And that cry, it just gives us a little idea, just a little idea of what it means for a person to be cast into hell, to be forsaken by God, which we have glimpses of. Thank God we don't see it in his full horror. But in Matthew 25, verse 30, Matthew 25, verse 30, we can see a glimpse when it says, cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is that? We throw trash away, we crumple up things and throw it away because it's not profitable for us. And this is how the forsaken by God is described as unprofitable for God. To be forsaken by God is to be cast into a place called outer darkness. It's hard for us to imagine the horrors of an eternal hell. And the only person who knows what it is and who's not actually there is God himself. And so therefore, Psalm 22, it happened to keep everyone from being forsaken by God. The little that we know about what it is like to be forsaken by God, Job told us, Job 10.22, Job 10.22, it is a land of darkness as darkness itself and the shadow of death without any order where the light is as darkness. Here's a place where there's eternal fear, fear, fear. Here's a place where there's no order. Here's a place where light is like darkness. Here's a place where of deep regret in hell. As it says in Matthew eight eleven. Matthew eight eleven. I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Luke 13, 28, Luke 13, 28 says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. Those in hell are described in Jude one thirteen, 13, Jude 1, 13, as raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. It talks about shame. Wandering stars, it talks about wandering. To whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Hell is a place of anxiety. It's a place of a wandering, a looking for, it, trying to find rest, trying to find relief, trying to find peace, but it can't be found, as it says in Isaiah 5720. Isaiah 5720, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked, Hell is a place of shame, as it talked about there, eternal shame, like a person who tries to escape the torment of his own shame and his guilt by going to sleep in death, only to wake up to that same shame, which is described in Daniel 12.2. Daniel 12.2, many of them that sleep in the dust of the death shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. It's a place of irritation, it's a place uh, uh, where worms are and they don't die and fire is there and it doesn't burn out. Where it says in Mark 9:44, in Mark 9:44 where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And all this causes hell to be a place of wailing, wailing and gnashing of teeth. Wailing and gnashing of teeth, not a soft sob, not a cry, but a loud wailing with the frustration of having needs that are never satisfied, like the need of being thirsty, never being able to drink, getting a glimpse of of just what this means. It's hard for us to imagine, but it says in Luke 16, 23, it gives a description, Luke 16, 23, it says, In hell a certain man lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth... Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And the reason for all of this anguish in the place of the outer darkness is because it's realizing, people realizing it was a hundred percent, it is a hundred percent not necessary for any person to have been cast into this horrible place. The place of outer darkness is not necessary for anybody to be cast into. Why? Because John 3.16, because of John 3.16, God so loved the whole wide world that he gave his son for, gave his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever in the whole wide world believes into him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not necessary because in 2 Peter 3.9, 2 Peter 3.9, it says, the Lord is not willing that anyone, that any should perish, but that all should come to him. The Lord's not willing that anyone in the whole wide world should perish, but that all in the whole wide world should come to repentance. It's not necessary because of 1 Timothy Timothy 2.4 that explains that God will have all men to be saved, and come to the knowledge of the truth god will have all men in the whole wide world to be saved to be saved as it says in first john 2 2 first john 2 2 he is the propitiation he is the covering for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world the whole wide world this place place darkness is not necessary for any person to be cast into Because there's no such thing as God predestined or electing only some to be saved. The lie that God has chosen only some to believe comes straight from the pit. And I say that in love because I have some dear friends that believe that way. Because the pit wants people to think that it's fate, that it's fate for some to be cast into hell because they've been predestined. It's not true. It's not true at all. It's totally unnecessary. It's the greatest catastrophe when a person is cast into hell. Because just this last week, I was talking to a person, he surprisingly asked me, he said, do you, you really believe in heaven and hell? I don't know why people, they're so shocked. You really believe that? Like, it's not important if I believe in heaven and hell. What's important is if God believes in heaven and hell. And the Lord Jesus believed in heaven and hell, which he did, because he did believe in heaven and hell, and that's why he died as he did in Psalm 22. So that no one would be cast into hell, this place of outer darkness. No one would experience what he experienced being forsaken by God. It's so horrible that the Lord Jesus took the place of man to be forsaken by God in verse 1. So no one would ever have to be forsaken by God. This feeling of being forsaken by God was worse for the Lord Jesus than all the physical pain that he suffered on the cross. Because when the Lord Jesus was forsaken by God, what he was doing, him being forsaken by God, created an umbrella for us that protected us from being forsaken by God. It created what God loves to call a covering, which has been translated as atonement. It created a covering. It's what we've been singing about here, where the Father said, here, here, my son, let me cover you. Don't go out into that alone. You need an umbrella. It's raining out there. The wrath of God is raining. I'm going to make for you an umbrella of the blood, of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to work. And this chapter describes how the Lord Jesus was forsaken forsaken by God. And the reason why is given to us in Isaiah 53.8. Isaiah 53.8, which is what the, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading when it says he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living, and here it is, For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Just picture the father saying, so that you could have an umbrella of protection, so that I could have, so that all the world could have a protection against this. That's why he was stricken. And this description in Psalm 22 is a vivid description of the crucifixion with such vivid details that it makes us feel like we're feeling what he felt. This was written hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus suffered on the cross. And what's so remarkable about this account here is that it reads more like a detailed history of what happened rather than a general prophecy about what happened. This is a description of Christ the sacrifice, this is a description of Christ the Passover lamb. As it says in 1 Corinthians 5.7, 1 Corinthians 5.7, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And here it is in Psalm 22. And the blessings that come, like we've been talking about, Psalm 23, what a blessing, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The blessings of Psalm 22 flow from the cross. They flow from the cross. The blessing of having our souls satisfied There's no food for our souls unless Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. The blessing of having hope and eternal life, of having a deep happiness, none of it without Christ our Passover sacrificed for us. If any person wants hope from God, wants a, a fulfillment in their life, wants an assurance of heaven after death, he's got to see Christ first as an offering for his sins from Psalm 22. Now, Psalm 22 has to be read alongside with Isaiah 53 because they dovetail together, and it works like this. Psalm 22 gives us the what. The what happened. It tells us what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 tells us the why. Why did this happen to the Lord Jesus Christ? For example, Psalm 22 tells us about the nails that he felt that pinned him to the cross, in verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. Isaiah 53 tells us the reason, as we saw in Isaiah 53, 8, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. For the transgression of my people was he pierced, was he nailed to the cross. And the difference between Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 is how the cross is looked at. Because Isaiah 53 is looking at the cross externally. It's looking at the Lord Jesus. That is Isaiah 53. That's why in Isaiah 53, you have these terms of he and him, as in Isaiah 53, 5. Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So in Isaiah 53, you find these terms of the he and the his and the him, But what you don't find in Isaiah 53 is the I and the me and the my. You don't find those terms. Those are the terms for Psalm 22. Because Psalm 22 is looking at the cross from the inside. It is from the inside of the Lord Jesus, and so therefore he is speaking I and me and my. Such as verse 14, Psalm 22 verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. So part from the jeerers, in Psalm 22. We don't find the terms he, him, and his. Both Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, it described the Lord Jesus as the Redeemer suffering the sins for man. Psalm 22 is remarkable because it tells us the thoughts that were running through the Savior's mind. It tells us what was passing through the mind of the Lord Jesus while he was on the cross. Psalm 22 tells us about the sorrow that he suffered firsthand at having been abandoned by God. Psalm 22 tells us how he, when we read Isaiah 53, we're asked, we're, we look at that and we're, we're asking the question, what was he thinking? What was he feeling at the time? Psalm 22 fills in that blank. Psalm 22 tells us how he held on to his confidence in God, even though he was forsaken by God. Psalm 22 tells us about how the Lord Jesus encouraged himself by thinking about how God delivered others. Psalm 22 tells us that what he was thinking when his enemies were taunting him. It tells us what he was thinking when the soldiers were driving the nails into his hands and feet. It tells us what he was thinking when he saw the, the soldiers gambling for his cloak for his coat. It tells us how he was praying that his enemies would not accomplish their goal to defeat him. It tells us the secret of how he was able to endure the cross. It tells us with the joy that he was focused on. And and what makes Psalm 22 so marvelous for us is because it tells us, again, his mind, what he's thinking on the inside. Now, when you first look at verse 1, we're just struck by just the repetition. It's not, it's not, my God, it's, my God, my God. And that repetition alone tells us the deep anxiety that he felt, just like in, in 1 Kings 18.37, 1 Kings 18.37, a prayer, "'Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art God.'"